Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Story time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling pain tenderness firmness lumps bumps bruising discoloration or itching there's a risk of unintended Intentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I was told to keep quiet about the story, but I can't, I need explanations. To begin, I'm ex-Special Forces. I was a British Army commando, after serving as an artillery officer, 
A lot of my training consisted of forest or jungle survival and got me interested in nature but Britain didn't have any truly wild forests so I was left wanting more. A few years later a transfer opportunity opened up to the US so I took it, excited by the potential forests to trek through. Long story short the program I was working on was suspended due to intelligence cock-up so I got 6 months of paid leave and met up with my friend who was a park ranger. I'm not giving his actual name or of the park for reasons so everyone or place names have been altered, let's call him Jim. We were hanging out at his cabin with his colleague Nick, I was telling them stories of my time on tour in the Middle East when the radio in the cabin goes off. Jim comes out with a serious face and tells Nick to get mounted up for a search and rescue he the asks if I wanna come so I agree and got suited up in my combat uniform. I had nothing else as I thought I would only be a couple hours, we arrive at a clearing with 40 other people, we were informed that a boy and girl were missing from their beds in a family cabin. This seemed odd to me and recently becoming a father I understood how important it was to find them. We left in a party of seven and armed to the teeth as there were bears around and we didn't have time to mess around. We searched for hours and nothing turned up. It was getting dark and we began to head back to my eight-seater Land Rover and I noticed something off in the dark, it was set of stairs. I asked Jim what the hell are they doing out here? His response was just keep going not in a menacing tone but in a strict tone that a parent would use in a fire drill or something. But when he flicked off the safety of his rifle I knew something was up. We got back to the Land Rover and started a back to the clearing during the ride I was told to never tell anyone what I saw. We got back and I was told to stay by the truck just in case another group found them as my truck was the same type that were used as military ambulances in the 50s and out of all the vehicles was the most suitable for the job. Jim and Nick got out and the others just stayed in packing medical and food supplies on the truck. 50 feet in front of me was the leader of the search party. I never paid any attention to his rank or whatever it's called, and he and Jim were talking and he turned looked at me and nodded at which I confidently nodded back. Minutes later Jim and Nick returned at which I asked him what was the talk about Jim said it was about how lucky we are to have special forces with us and it should be a bit easier but I knew it was about the stairs I saw in the woods. Hours passed in the truck waiting for the call to provide assistance that we get it from another park ranger. 20 miles north of the cabin, who said he found a abandoned shoe belonging to a kid. We rushed out there and met up with the ranger and searched the near woods. The trees were tall and thick with foliage so our torches had to be powerful to pierce the leaves and branches of trees. Jim shouted us over saying there's something here as we approach we found that it was blood, thick, glossy blood. I would to say I've seen my share of death. I've had close friends blown up and even a guy I trained with got captured and brutally killed to death but the scene that lay before me will haunt me for life. I won't give detailed description because it's too gore for YouTube. But it's about kids and they were 60 feet up in the tree. I've never returned and will never but the stairs and the latter one regarding kids were connected somehow and I need some closure because the rangers still to this day refuse to talk about them I hope the anonymity of the internet will change that. Please help me get the answers I need. My dad was hiking or stalking, they were in their military grade ghillie suits, with four friends near Long Beach, Washington. 
It was absolutely miserable weather, pouring down rain, when they found this creepy shack in the woods. It was situated by a gravel road, and on the road about 10 red cars were lined up, only red cars, and a huge bonfire was blazing outside the shack. They crept up closer to the shack, and they heard voices. The door then opened and they hid in the brush, and out come about 20 naked people who start dancing in a circle around the fire like a witch party. One of the guys took a break and pissed on the bush my dad's friend was hiding in. They waited a few minutes and snuck out through the woods. They have never gone back. Not saying satanic cult, but all red cars, creepy shack, bonfire, dancing around said bonfire while naked during a storm. Did I mention the place had no address either? When I was a venture scout, my crew and I went to New Mexico for a backpacking trip. On the eighth day in, two other guys and myself had to go fetch creek water that was two miles away, or so the map said. We've already hiked around six miles that day so by the time we set out it was getting close to sundown. As we made our way to the creek, we came to a fork in the road and had to consult the map. The oldest of us was on watch duty in case any feral animal came upon us and we needed to hightail it out there. Well, while me and my other friend were figuring out which road to take the watchman taps us on the shoulder and tells us to be quiet. We shut up and look to where he is pointing. It was, what I assumed to be, a mountain lion maybe 300 feet from us and 50 feet above us on the cliff. He was looking right at us. For whatever reason he never pounced or attacked us. He was just observing us. We carefully backed away from him and once we thought we reached a safe distance we just calmly hiked away from all the while our hearts were pounding. In the end, we got the water after being observed by what we thought was a mountain lion. Scared poop less. Several years ago, a friend and I were hiking along the Appalachian Trail in North Georgia, and we stopped on a bald hilltop overlooking a scenic valley with pines and dogwoods along the bottom by a creek. It had been overcast all day with rumblings of thunder but no rain. I was looking down at the bottom of the valley, and suddenly, all the trees in one spot started shaking violently back and forth. Then the cloud cover above it dropped like a ton of bricks. It was a moment I will never forget, it looked like the clouds in an area of 100 square meters just fell out of the sky and slammed into the treetops at the bottom of the valley. Branches, leaves, and debris exploded from the trees, resembling something from Lost or King Kong. I half expected a giant gorilla to come bounding out of the tree cover. Then, a small funnel cloud formed right above it. Keep in mind, we were about 200 meters away on the top of a bald hilltop. Luckily, the tornado petered out after only a few seconds, and we quickly descended from the top of that hill and down the other side into tree cover. I was so amped up on adrenaline that I had to drink about four or five rusty nails that night to go to sleep. A very awesome experience that I will never forget. We are small and insignificant compared to mother nature, we control nothing. Myself and a mate hiked through the bush near Tambourine Mountain, Australia, in 2010. 
We made our own trail, slashing through lantana and vines with machetes. Was a lot of fun, really off the beaten track. A couple of hours into our hike, we started to hear dumb bum bum bum, the beat of jungle drums. Weird as hell, right? FYI, these drum beats had absolutely no place in the Australian jungle. Our curiosity peaked, we headed towards the sound. Slashing through a thick wall of vines, we emerged into a clearing and saw the source of the drums. About 25 guys, islander or black in appearance, wearing grass skirts and dancing around a fire. They noticed us. The drums stopped. It was like a needle scratch or the piano stopping in a saloon. Utter silence. They all stared at us. We shed ourselves. Then the director ran up, yelled cut, and asked us what we thought we were doing. We had stumbled onto the film set of a Kit Kat commercial. I went canoeing or camping with some friends on a river in Florida. We stop and eat lunch and we're messing around in the water when I see a pumpkin floating by. My first thought was to pick it up and chuck it at one of my buddies so I waded over to it. When I touched it the pumpkin rolled over and it had been hollowed out and someone had stuck a chicken in it. Not a cooked chicken, a real, feathers and all chicken. They had cut a hole in the top of the pumpkin and pulled the chicken's head through it and its little chicken legs and tips of its wings were hanging out of the bottom. We figured it was some kind of Santeria thing maybe, either way it freaked me out. This happened to me back in the 80s, when I was in my 20s. On occasion I would go car camping with my yellow tiger cat, Oberon. He had an overbite, drooled, had a monster purr, and was awesome in every way. He loved riding in the car. My solo camping was stupid, and I cannot recommend it, but I needed the aloneness and I needed the bravery. I would drive up roads, some BLM, some national forest, some disused logging roads. I would not go too far, find a spot that appealed to me, pull off the road as far as I could, set up a small camp and stay for a night, or two, just reading, bird watching, painting, being with my cat. Just spending time being me. One day I went up a road, and found a pretty meadow, with a small stream curving around through trees, a perfect place. The cat and I walked around a bit, checking it out. At the side of the meadow near the road was a large flat, round rock. A perfect table. I always packed good food, and I liked a bit of elegance. I set out a place mat, cloth napkin, an unopened bottle of dark beer, my sandwich, still wrapped in foil, on my plate, cookies, and a bowl of kibble for Oberon. He had wandered a bit, and I went to get him. We went into the trees, and wandered around for a bit. It was a very lovely day, warm, sunny, with a light breeze. And the whole area was beautiful. We were not out of sight of my car, and the rock for very long, maybe 15 minutes. I picked up the cat, and walked back, looking forward to lunch. When we got to the rock it was gone. Eaten. The foil was crumpled into a ball, the beer was empty, with the opener next to the bottle, cookies gone, sandwich gone, napkin folded loosely, and knife laid across the plate. It was an oh shit feeling. I ran for the car, 
tossed Oberon in, started the car, turned around, headed back down the hill. Then I thought, what if whoever ate my food was hiding in my back seat? I stopped, heart pounding, checked out the back, all okay, and headed back to town and friends. Who were understandably freaked out by my story. I still camped after that, but it took a while for my courage to return. During the recent holidays, Christmas 2010, I was able to talk to a cousin who lives in the Faroe Lake area in New York. He is a conservationist and an advocate for nature conservation. He recently made a discovery that is fascinating but pains him since the information would most likely lead to Bigfoot hunters decimating wildlife and pristine forests. While hiking and camping in a fairly remote forest in Essex County, New York, the most specific location he will give, he came across what he describes as a Sasquatch ritual burial. One evening while he was making his way back to camp he heard muffled grunting coming from his right. His attention was directed toward a thick stand of sugar maple trees. He crouched down behind a large fallen tree and witnessed three large hairy bipedal figures, Sasquatch standing around a large tree stump. It looked like a large female who towered above her companions. He estimated that she was 8 foot plus and that the others were about 5 to 6 feet tall. Each one of the figures was swaying and grunting. This activity continued for almost 10 minutes when they suddenly stopped and started to run in the opposite direction. He was fearful that they had noticed his presence somehow. Since it was now getting dark he decided to continue to his camp and return the next day. The next morning he anxiously made his way back to the site where he had seen the Sasquatch. When he reached the site he noticed a four-foot-high hollow sugar maple stump with four gray squirrel tails attached to the top edge and suspended outside the stump. It looked like a sort of decoration. He also noticed a terrible stench that reminded him of very strong urine. He looked into the stump, it was empty, but there was some dark fur, a few blood stains and a large piece of old deer hide. He surmises that the Sejach may have buried a small child or infant in the stump and that they either came back to move it after noticing him or that a scavenger took it during night. Do you or others believe that this could have been a Sasquatch funeral or ritual burial? I had met with a couple of my girlfriends for a quick late dinner at a restaurant facing Main Street downtown. I had parked about three blocks further away down Main Street, as this was the only parking place available at that time of the day. We had chatted a while after dinner and then parted ways. I was alone on the walk back to my car, but there was the usual amount of people around. It was almost twilight, but still very light and it was very humid and hot. As I walked along, I began to get the uneasy feeling of someone staring at me. I glanced back over my shoulder and noticed this 14 or 15 year old kid in dirty clothes and an equally soiled hoodie. He was a very pale looking boy and he was following very close behind me. I began to experience a strange and nagging fear. All my life I have been something of a tomboy and felt that I have and could handle myself in many situations, but what I felt that day, went right to my core. As I walked along, I had to wonder why someone, even a kid, would be wearing a hoodie on a 99 plus temperature day. 
I looked at him again and our eyes locked. The shock was like a bucket of cold water being thrown on me. His eyes were completely, eerily, empty and black. No white at all showing. At this point I was almost in a panic. I hate to say it, but I was ready to run. Just then, I got even with another restaurant and ducked quickly inside. I nervously stood by the window and waited and watched to see him pass, but he never did. A few moments later, after feeling a little better, being in the company of others in that cafe, I went back outside and when I couldn't see the kid anywhere, I almost ran the rest of the way to my car. This happened on a Friday. The nagging fear stayed with me for the rest of that weekend. I was very nervous, which isn't like me at all. I'm usually a well-grounded and outgoing person, but for the next two days, I cut myself off from almost everyone. All I wanted to do was to stay behind locked doors until the fear went away. I jumped at every sound. I'm glad no one knocked on my door that weekend or I probably would have freaked out. I routinely checked my windows and locked doors and didn't really get any sleep at all and when I did, I had nightmares of seeing those eyes. Thankfully the uneasy feeling had finally gone away by Monday, after I went back to work. A week or so later I told my friend, the one who saw you on TV, about what happened and she said it sounded like a black-eyed kid, which until then, I'd never heard of. I know what I saw was nothing in the way of makeup of any kind. But most of all the fear that took hold of me was something so unnatural, that the thought of it still bothers me and I know it will be a while yet, before I'm able to go back downtown. I'm here about the bear, I told the woman in the ranger station. She didn't react, her eyes not even leaving the computer monitor she was working at. I was about to ask again, a bit louder, when she slowly turned her swivel chair in my direction. She looked at me for the first time. You're here about the bear? She asked, looking unconvinced. Yeah, I said, I'm press. She perked up at that, sitting straight and nodding like it was something she'd been expecting. Her demeanor became distinctly more professional. You're late, she said, just wait there, they'll be with you in a second. I'm going to be honest, I work for one of those spooky tabloid sites. The name of it is something along the lines of the Dark Herald, and my work mostly involves driving long distances in a shitty car to interview lunatics who claim to have seen the Mothman. Provided those lunatics have at least a tangential relationship to the New York City metropolitan area. I was sure that no one from my publication had called ahead, but I wasn't above profiting from a misunderstanding. So I sat down in one of the cracked plastic chairs and waited. The walls of the waiting room were covered in posters. A colorful one told me what to do if I encountered a black bear, another advertised Hessian Lake as the place where Franklin Delano Roosevelt got polio, another had a picture of a man in a baseball cap who'd been missing for three months. I found the reason I was here smiling out at me from a sheet of freshly printed computer paper. A young woman, Mary Santorelli, had vanished without a trace only a few weeks back. There had reportedly been a tagged bear in the area where she had been last seen. So I was meant to drive out, take some videos, and ask questions exploring the bear attack angle. It wasn't a distinctly supernatural occurrence, 
but for a killer bear the herald was apparently willing to bend genres. I didn't wait long before the door creaked open and two park rangers walked out, a man and a woman in matching uniforms, with wide-brimmed hats and forest green backpacks. When they saw me, their faces lit up and I felt a little bad. They probably thought I was from the times or something. They were definitely going to be disappointed. Welcome to Bear Mountain, the man said, I'm Luke. And I'm Amy, the woman finished. They laughed, stupid grins on both of their faces. I shook their hands. Tom Mills, I introduced myself, trying not to volunteer any unnecessary information. Amy gave me an assessing look, oh hun, she said, that's not gonna be nearly warm enough once it gets dark out there. I looked down at my jeans and light coat and had to agree. In my defense, I had previously had no plans to be out there at all, especially not after it had gotten dark. I honestly just walked in to ask a couple questions. Sorry, I said, trying to come up with an excuse that wouldn't show my hand, but fell back on silence. It's no problem, Luke said, still smiling, we have plenty of extra gear you can go ahead and borrow. Just wait right there. He disappeared into the back again and Amy started gathering up a stack of papers from the desk. I took the time to get some footage of the walls. I'd taken establishing shots of the station before coming inside and the backdrop of missing persons flyers would be great b-roll. My eyes trailed across the posters again, coming to rest on the face of Mary Santorelli. Sad, huh? Amy said, catching my gaze. I don't know how much I buy into this bear attack business, she said bear attack like it was as unlikely as an alien abduction, which was funny for a ranger who worked on Bear Mountain. A lot of folks just get lost out here. They come from the city thinking they don't need to know anything about the woods, and then, well, they find out they were wrong. The callous way she said it made me wonder if Amy wasn't the one attacking tourists. I asked her if she would mind repeating the statement on camera, she didn't. My editor was going to love this. Luke returned shortly with a coat that looked suspiciously like something he'd found in the lost and found. This should do it, he said. Thanks, I said, I hope it isn't too much of a. It's no problem, he cut me off, joking just make sure you get my good side. They were being very nice and it was making me uncomfortable. I had more than enough for what I came for and this was my last chance to come clean without the deception being obviously intentional, you guys know I'm from the Dark Herald, right? They looked at me, then at each other, the what? Amy asked as Luke said, I thought you were from the post. I shook my head trying to seem more apologetic than guilty. Oh, he frowned and glanced at the clock, the reporter from the post was supposed to be here hours ago. He didn't seem angry, more let down. Amy patted his shoulder. It's fine. You've gone this long without your 15 minutes, you'll survive a little more waiting, she said. I wanted to frame the story and give it to my grams, he lamented, but I bet they don't even do print. We can definitely do a print version of this story, I said, trying to be helpful, it doesn't get much circulation, but if you want, we could make you front page. The print news department of the Dark Herald was basically just one ancient printing press and a formatter named Gary, I was pretty sure he'd oblige. Luke was doubtful, really? Yeah, I said, 
I can even write something up. I grabbed a pen and a piece of notebook paper from the desk and wrote out. All rights to the story of the bear attacks in Bear Mountain Park are contingent on a picture of Luke. What's your last name? I asked. Jameson, Luke said. Are contingent on a picture of Luke Jameson and Amy. No, I don't want my picture on there, Amy interrupted. A picture of Luke Jameson and Amy being featured on the front cover of the print edition. Good? I asked. He read over the words again carefully, and nodded. I wrote on behalf of the Dark Herald and signed my name at the bottom before handing the paper to Luke. He wrote on behalf of Luke Jameson and signed his own name. I figured that would work. We were out in the car before I realized I had no idea where we were going, I informed them of this. We're going to get the bear, Amy said. I must have looked as shocked as I felt because she laughed, don't worry. One of the traps was triggered up near where the attack supposedly happened, but Teddy's GPS tag is acting wacky so it's probably not even him we caught. Teddy? I asked. It's what she named the killer bear, Luke explained. You know how rare fatal black black attacks are, she said to him, there have been way more disappearances this year than normal, you really think Teddy's killed over half a dozen people? There's definitely something else going on. Luke was silent at that, and it sunk in that I had very abruptly become part of a bear hunt, I made sure to keep the camera rolling. What do you think it could be? I asked Amy. She glanced back from the passenger side, now I can't be sure, she said, looking into the camera seriously, but I think the evidence points to a serial killer. No way, Luke scoffed, they would have found something by now if someone was up here killing people. Amy glared, oh yeah, because it's much more reasonable to believe that they've all been devoured by bears. How many people have gone missing? I asked. Ten people, just this year, she said, the most anyone's ever heard of. I felt a pit in my stomach, that was a lot of people. And they haven't found anything? She shook her head, Teddy must be damn hungry if he isn't even leaving clothes behind. The rest of the drive passed in relative silence, down a narrow road that wound through the forest like it had been drawn by a six-year-old's crayon. They explained that while the trap wasn't even ten miles out, getting their truck there was a hassle. I didn't mind the drive. I got some shots of the trees out the window. It was getting late in the day and the way the shadows played across the truck was almost sinister. We were driving slow on something that could barely be called a road at all when the vehicle jerked and started wobbling. Luke cursed, it felt like we'd just gotten a flat. He was trying to pull off the road when we saw it. Tangled in the plants a couple yards ahead of us was something I can only describe as a metal scrap heap. Pieces of it were scattered across the road, one of them had probably been the thing to pop our tire. Holy shit, Luke said. He stopped the car, jumping out to get a better look. I followed with the camera. What was it? I asked. Whatever it was, it looked like it had been crushed like tinfoil. It's the bear trap, Luke said, but it looks like whatever got caught and it wanted out real bad. I was surprised. Can bears normally break out of bear traps? He hesitated, it's not unheard of, he said. For polar bears, Amy exclaimed, no way a black bear could have done a thing like this. No way. I started getting close-ups of the wreckage. 
It was incredible, in some places the solid metal sheets were squashed, torn apart like tissue paper. Oh, so what? Did we catch a serial killer that can go hulk and break out of bear cages? I noticed something about the curvature of the metal. It looked like it had been punched in. Guys, I said, I don't think anything broke out of the cage, it was hard to see in the dimming light and tall grass, but the ground around it was coated in something black, I think something got Teddy. They stopped fighting to look at me like I was crazy. But then something moved. I can't describe the sound exactly, or maybe it wasn't even a sound, but a vibration in the ground. The instinctual sense that something very large and alive was nearby. We all froze, going silent. Maybe it was because they were park rangers and I had some experience with the supernatural, but nobody screamed, no one cried out in disbelief, we all just cowered. Our eyes snapping in the direction of the thing and back at each other with the animalistic dread of prey. We were ballet dancers, silently prancing backwards on the balls of our feet. Gracefully, moving as if our fear made the air syrupy thick. We made it to the truck. My hand was about to land on the door handle when Luke unlaked his own. The thing in the woods noticed. I couldn't see it, not really, but as it stalked the forest around us I could make out its size. Lither than a bear, but several times larger. The dance ended. The thing came at us just as Luke started the engine. There was definitely screaming then. Metal crunched as the tailgate was ripped clear off of the truck. Go faster, Amy cried. Luke cursed, the tires flat. I go any faster, this thing stops going at all. You go any slower, we're all dead, she yelled. She was messing around on her phone. I assume trying to get reception. The cab isn't going to keep that thing out, I said, how far can we make it? I couldn't see where it was, but I knew it wasn't gone. Amy was taking deep breaths, not far enough to be useful, she said, there's a turn right here, it'll take us to Doodle Town. Doodle Town, I repeated, she had to be joking. It's just some old foundations but she cut off, her voice almost a sob, but I can't think of anything else. There's reception there. We can call for help. Luke was very focused on driving the crippled truck, but declared we can make it to Doodle Town, like his willpower alone could keep the tire spinning. He made a hard left, I assume towards Doodle Town. Ahead of us the forest exploded. The creature dove from the cover of the trees, impossibly fast. Landing hard enough that I could feel its weight. If we had continued straight, it would have been on top of us. I caught a glimpse of slick black fur and coiled legs as it slunk back into the trees. We all screamed again, plunging down the dirt road. I don't know how much time passed before we blew past the Doodle Town sign, leaving a trail of chaos and the smell of burning rubber. I saw it moving. Stop. I screamed, lunging forward and grabbing the wheel. Luke hit the brakes and my panic twisting of the wheel somehow led the back to drift forward. The creature sunk its claws in, appearing from nowhere and tearing the truck apart in a rage. I was weightless, pitched through the air, seatbelt still attached, like some kind of morbid carnival ride. I landed almost 10 feet away and barely registered how bad I'd messed up my arm. I'd like to say that I ran back to help the others, or that I even considered doing so 
But at this point something else took over, something inside me that didn't care about anything other than survival. I bolted into the foundation graveyard that I guess made up Doodle Town. I tripped through the overgrown stone buildings, listening for the sound of the creature behind me, trying desperately to find somewhere to hide. I found it behind a warning, structurally unsound sign at the opening of an old stone basement. I dove down the steps, only then realizing I should call for help. I took out my phone and realized the problem. I was in a basement. Then I thought about Amy and Luke for the first time, and God did I feel like a piece of shit. I needed to do something, I needed to see if they were still alive. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Creeping back up the stairs, I stuck my head out past the sign and I saw something horrible. Amy was about 20 yards off, something sticking out of her side. She was sitting against an old crumbling wall and the creature was on the other side. I could hear the wet sounds of ripping flesh. It was eating. She wouldn't last long. Hell, I probably wouldn't either, but I had reception. I called 911, but I don't know what they said because I muted the call. Doodle Town, I whispered as I crept away from the basement, send help to Doodle Town, I unmuted it for just a second to make sure there was a person on the line. Sir? Can you hear me? The voice said and I muted it again. I'm Tom Mills, I'm in Doodletown in Bear Mountain Park with a park ranger named Amy and and Luke Jameson. He's dead. I didn't try to listen to a response, I hung up the phone and threw it as far as I could manage, hoping that my otterbox was worth it. I crept towards Amy. She was still sitting against the wall, her face bloodless and her eyes glazed over. There was an empty look on her face as she listened to it tear pieces out of her partner. The thing sticking out of her side was a long piece of metal shrapnel. When she saw me she opened her mouth, like she was going to say something but she cut off when I frantically held a finger to my lips, she seemed to pale even further. As quietly as I could, I whispered, can I borrow your phone? She looked at me like she could barely process the request, but then nodded to the pocket of her jacket. 
I need you to get ready to move, I said. I I can't she gasped, looking at her legs. I'll help, but you need to move, I said. She nodded, a hard look in her eye. I dialed my number, and from across the foundations the iPhone opening ringtone blared out, seeming as loud as a foghorn. The creature froze. Bloody maw snapping shut, unable to completely hide the rows of its jagged teeth. It turned toward the ringing phone, slinking off to investigate. I hoisted Amy's arm around my shoulder and together we hobbled towards the basement. Halfway there, almost. The thing roared, an awful and strangely high-pitched noise, and when I looked towards it, I met its eye. It came at us then, its almost ferret-like body no longer keeping up the pretense of stalking prey, this was an outright attack. Go, 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 I chanted at the ridiculously slow Amy, Jesus, how was she so slow? We got into the basement just as the creature reached us. Its claws came in first, grasping at us and clattering together like bones. It retracted, then began to ram its body through the opening. Again and again, the building began to rumble with the sound of shifting stone. I thought that was it, I was about to die in a hole in the ground, in a place called Doodle Town. I would never find proof of the Jersey Devil. I would never see Mothman. The building collapsed. The last thing I remember was the look on Amy's face, then darkness. I came to to the sound of frantic yelling and flashing lights. I was dazed, something was lifting me from beneath the stones. I was on a stretcher. I glanced back towards the basement and saw it was completely destroyed. Someone else, I said to the floating heads above me, Amy. They seemed to understand. The next time I woke up it was to the steady beat of a heart monitor. Still a little panicked, I tried to sit up, which started off a louder alarm that made me a little more panicked. A nurse rushed in, saying stuff in her nice nurse voice, and eventually I calmed down enough to ask what the hell was going on. You have to understand that it took some time for all these memories to come back. At first it was just flashes of primal terror and falling rocks. You were in an accident, she explained. The way the night was explained to me went like this. I went out in a truck and somehow, the driver lost control of the vehicle. Then I took shelter in a basement to await help, only to become trapped and sustain a traumatic brain injury when a minor localized earthquake caused the structure to collapse. What? I said. The nurse shrugged, upped my drugs and left. The next time I woke up, Amy was there. She was sitting in a wheelchair looking terrible. When she saw that I was awake, she wheeled towards me. You need to tell them what happened, she yelled, too loud. They think I'm crazy, you need to tell them about the monster. I was stunned, too high to comprehend exactly what she was saying. At this point, her yelling attracted the attention of a nurse who, when she walked in on Amy waving a hand in my face and snapping, promptly wheeled her out of the room. I didn't see Amy again, not for a long time. When I called my work, they were more disappointed that I lost my camera than worried about my absence and hospitalization, just hurry back, they said, some guy in great kill saw a kraken. The memories returned slowly, but all I can say is this, whatever got those tourists, it wasn't natural, and with the amount of cryptid sightings that have been rolling into our newsroom, 
Maybe now isn't a great time to go camping. On November 22nd I was deer hunting with a friend on some state land in central New York. After we got settled in a spot to sit we started hearing wood hitting wood which sounds completely different from stepping on a branch that breaks. And several whooping grunting noises. Not long after that we heard a large tree fall, or pushed, to the ground. And something was. Stomping through the woods breaking large branches. At first we thought it was a bear cause it was so loud like something big and heavy. Or maybe a hunter but we were the only ones there. Plus hunters are trying to be quiet. All that noise brought us to our feet. While looking in that direction of the noise I saw a tall dark figure shaped like a pillar. There were no shoulders so I'm thinking it was a side view. It was around noon. The pathway where the figure was standing was open and light up with daylight. I'm thinking it was about 50 yards away. I was staring at it for about 5 minutes trying to see what I was seeing. The top where a head would be was turning back and forth. The reason I know is cause there was something a dark red color that I kept seeing move around. And the darkness of the figure seemed to change like it was moving. I didn't want to take my eyes off of it. I was trying to reach in my bag to get my binoculars out without taking my eyes off of it, but I couldn't get into my bag. So I looked down for a second and when I looked up it was gone. After that we heard more wood hitting wood and the whooping grunting sounds. Both sounds were coming from two different directions. Then it stopped and we moved to a different location. My dad and his mother sold their souls to save the lives of their family members during the worst days of the Great Depression. Their neighbor across the road in that coal town was outside watching his younger siblings. He saw dad's mother in her garden hoeing around seedlings. That bit of information will be important later. The neighbor was then a young man old enough to take an adult job. There was one job opportunity and many men were applying for it. Dad put in a good word for this man, they being about the same age and even gave him the newly ironed shirt off his back to wear to the interview where he got that job. That happened that morning. In the evening everyone was feeling good in that town because this man's pay would keep many of them alive. Everyone shared and dad's family was known for sharing even though it hurt them. Then, different people in the town, along with dad's neighbor, witnessed a huge fireball coming across the sky. It made a maneuvered turn to head towards dad's house. This man and his siblings looked at each other and started to run to help though it looked like no one could survive what was headed for them over there. They found that their legs would not move and even using all their strength and their upper body strength they could not free their legs to make them move. They woke up the next morning not knowing how they got into the right beds or even in the right bedclothes. Not only were their parents unresponsive to their talking about this incident to get their help to go help dad's family, but their parents froze in place, not breathing or speaking. Seeing as that particular topic always caused them to do that they stopped doing it, making up their minds to go over there themselves. Across the road, they went and onto the property, down a lane a bit, and in full view were all members of the family aside from dad and his mother all lined up looking scared to death but nonetheless undamaged. A short distance from the house was a circular area that was smoking heavily. 
The law in coal country was that everyone pitched in to put out any fire because all the houses were sitting on top of coal that lay on the surface. If it got into a coal field to any depth it might not stop burning, ever. So, loss of homes, loss of jobs, loss of all they held dear. Dad came walking towards them with a shotgun in his hands. His mother wasn't far behind and was also carrying a shotgun. Dad told them to leave the property and never come back. He didn't seem himself and those two families had been like kin to each other for a very long time. Dad showed them that his gun was loaded as did his mother and they walked them off the property at gunpoint. From that day on he and his mother were never the same people again. I saw her just days before her death and saw something come out of her eyes. She became a very kind cheerful person which was everything I knew she had never been to me. Her eyes were different. She asked if she was in heaven and I said no so she asked who we were. Dad and I were the only people there. I told her I was her granddaughter and he was her son. She stammered and said that couldn't be. Then, she wanted to know how she got there since she was just in her garden hoeing around seedlings. Remember that before the fireball came down the neighbor had seen her in her garden hoeing around seedings. She looked at her hands and began shrieking really loudly. She asked how her hands could be so old and wrinkled and was sobbing. Dad got a mean look on his face and told her to remember that she'd agreed to a deal and she must stand by it or else. She died when she was 92. It was after her death that the family along with my aunt, uncle, and cousin went down to the old home place they'd grown up on, to get some of grandma's flowers from her rock garden. The house was long gone and trees and plants were growing all over the place. The forest was reclaiming the property. That's why we found it very odd that a perfectly circular area, that dad stood sobbing over was quite peculiar. Nothing was growing there at all. No birds flew over it, no bugs were seen there or any other living thing. In fact that entire area was devoid of birds, they were making wide berths around it. The rock garden some distance away was blooming and growing just fine. As well there were woods, plants, and flowers nearby that were also doing quite well. No other area was devoid of life except that circular area. My brother dragged me over there so I could help him figure out why dad was sobbing while looking at that spot and why nothing was living there. Standing there on the rim of that circular area I said under my breath in great frustration, what in God's name is he looking at? That's when something very strange happened. The ground over that circle eased off of it back to the edge of the circle like the reverse of water pooling on a floor. I saw this saucer-shaped craft and then it opened up like those medical books with the transparent pages showing the nervous system on the top, the circulatory one on the one beneath that, and the organs on the one at the bottom. I was looking into this craft and saw a living being working what looked like controls. It was seated at first moving its hands over these lighted different color lights with the palms of its hands. I thought that person was awfully skinny and bald. Then it got up from the seat and turned around so much that I could see its face. It didn't see me but I could clearly see it. I gasped and at the same time felt like I was falling down into that thing which was a distance down there and fearing that I grabbed my brother's legs on the way down and held on for dear life. He asked what was going on and if I was okay. I said, did you not see that? He asked, see what? 
Then he whispered loudly that dad was watching us and to get up. He helped me up and said to play it cool. I looked up to see dad's face and thought he would kill me if I told him what I'd seen. He'd kill me before I could get it out and I knew it. He came over to us so fast it shocked us both. Then, he demanded to know what I'd seen in a tone of voice that meant that he knew what I'd seen. I asked what he meant to give myself more time to come up with something. He said, you know what, I stammered a bit and said I thought I saw a spider or snake move down there. Of course, he knew why nothing was growing there already so it wasn't a good thing for me to say, in hindsight. When he ordered us to get down there and find that thing I told him I'd rather not because it could be poisonous. He said my brother would dig while I showed him what place to look. So, we both got down and my brother whispered close to me to know what we were looking for seeing as there was nothing alive in that area. I got his meaning and said well, I thought I saw something move. He said, no. What did you really see? I told him to shut up and just help me look if he wanted to survive. He said I was going to tell him later though I told him the same story I'd told dad. Better that no one else knew what I knew because they'd probably not believe it. Not finding what dad ordered us to find he wanted an explanation and so I said it must have been dead leaves moving that made it look like a snake skin as they are colored just like dead leaves many times. He asked if I was sure that's what I saw and I said it had to have been because I had nothing else. He glared at me right in the eyes and said that it better be all I saw. He held that glare and finally told us to leave the area completely and go over by the path. We weren't allowed to talk to each other which was fine by me. My brother was digging around something that looked like stainless steel over by that tree and dad asked him what he was doing. He said it could be something good but dad covered it back up with an old piece of tin and ordered him to leave it alone or else. We watched dad for some time until someone got his attention on them and I went over to see what my brother wanted. He said we had to get that thing he'd been digging it because it looked like one of those new stainless steel bowls that had been on the TV commercial and they were expensive. He said if dad caught me digging at it I could talk my way out of it. I was good at that. I went over and saw that it looked like one of those things so I dug the wood's dirt away from it quickly and pulled. It was stuck fast and solidly. Dad spotted me and asked what I was doing. So, I gave him the story of the expensive bowl just on the market and how this one was just lying around in the woods looking like nothing was wrong with it. Anytime we could appeal to his sense of greed he took it hook, line, and sinker. He told me to pull it out and I said it wouldn't budge. So, he told me to stick my hands underneath it to see what was holding it down. I felt the air being sucked into some tubes at the bottom of this bowl. I asked why it would be doing that and he said it could be a still but I didn't know what that meant. He uncovered a great length of pipe leading from it and it made a turn back towards that circular area where nothing was growing. My brother said so openly and loudly. Dad jumped up and started thinking out loud that we'd know what he was. What was he thinking and if we knew what he was we'd hurt him. We all did an about face and acted like we hadn't been hearing what he was saying. He was always a violent person who said there were no live witnesses. He yelled at all of us to forget what we just saw. My brother laughed and asked if that meant to forget what we just heard him say too. I could have hit him for asking that but still, I couldn't blame him since what he'd said was very telling in some ways.
Dad told us all to forget what they'd heard too and if they didn't he could make us forget. So, that was that. It happened in the early 1970s. So, that's the explanation for an area where life should be no different than anything else near it, but for some reason, nothing was alive in that circle. I remember the old UFO reports of them sitting down in farmers' fields and where they touched the ground nothing would grow even when the soil was dug up and replaced. They usually left triangular marks where the feet of the craft touched the ground. I have seen another place in another wood where there was a non-working craft and there were living things where it was. Nearby that area is a long stretch of ground, also in the same woods where nothing grows. Nothing has ever grown there and it's been decades. Dad used to do some strange things back there too. I know that farmers in our area planted their fields as usual and they discovered that even though they planted the field the same way they always had that particular area where the craft sat down, did not grow anything. Even weeds didn't grow in those places. I'd read where they dug down a good six feet, took that soil away, and replaced it with good healthy dirt, and still, nothing would grow there. This happened a few days ago. I was laying in bed watching YouTube with a candle lit on my bedside table. I do this every night and blow out the candle when I want to go to sleep. I was just watching Markiplier when I suddenly had an extremely vivid vision of me falling asleep early and my cat knocking over my candle. I don't have a working fire alarm in my room and I hadn't slept the night before so I didn't wake up right away. I saw my room engulf in flames. My house is wooden. And I vividly saw and experienced me not being able to find my cat and not knowing if I should leave or look for her, to be honest my cat is my whole world, I would be devastated without her. I immediately had a panic attack. My heart rate shot way up, I was hyperventilating and shaking. I felt the most terror in those moments than I ever have my entire life. I was so scared I didn't know what to do. I just sat frozen for a few moments before I reached over and blew out the candle. Immediately, everything was fine again. In a second, my heart rate went back to normal, all my fear was gone and my panic subsided completely. I've had many panic and anxiety attacks before and they always take me at least a few minutes to recover. This was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I not only saw with my eyes. Or my brain? My house burning down, but I felt the terror of not being able to find my cat and the choice I had to make. Has anyone else ever experienced anything like this? And, do you think something or someone saved me and my house? I, 50 female, bought a house almost three years ago in Northern Maryland. Property is over two acres with a spring creek running through it and a 120-year-old farmhouse atop a hill. Rest of the original property had been divided years ago and there are McMansions around our quiet haven. More than an acre is fenced and landscaped. The rest is a bit wild with plenty of wildlife moving around. A few months after we moved in, my daughter, 30, came for the weekend. We had piled a bunch of lawn debris and dead wood at the bottom of the hill near the creek but inside the fence, to have a bonfire for the grandkids. They had gone to bed after s'mores and my so stayed in the house with them. Daughter and I sat by the fire and chatted for a while. 
I felt like we were being watched. Just a mental ping but not menacing. I see across the creek, about 30 yards away, a perfect white circle that looked to be about 15 to 18 across. Then I realized it had a very thin, dark body, average height, behind the tree it was leaning against. I'm a calm person and asked my daughter if she could see it as well. She said yes and we quietly got up and walked toward the house. Checked the next day and saw nothing unusual where it had been. Never saw it again but also didn't go looking. Several weeks ago, daughter reported seeing it again on this side of the creek. Last week she was facetiming a friend who also saw it just within the yard. No idea what it is but not comfortable with it getting closer to the house. In retrospect, not sure if the white circle is part of it or just a cover so we couldn't see the face. Any ideas? I had an experience last night. My sister and I were out on the back porch with the dogs when our sheep, which we keep in a yard right next to the dogs, started running around like they were being chased. I thought maybe our herding dog, who we keep in the barn about a half mile down the road, had gotten down here somehow and was bothering them, so I turned on my phone's flashlight. The sheep were huddled in a corner near the dogs at this point and I didn't see anything and after waiting a few minutes the dog didn't start chasing them again so I turned off my flashlight. A bit after I did they started running again so I turned my light back on and again saw nothing. Turned it back off and they ran back to their original corner. This continued for a bit until one time when my light was off and I saw a curly black dog's tail silhouetted against our white truck. Aha! Problem solved. That's exactly what our herding dog's tail looks like, so obviously it's her. At this point I turned my light back on, didn't see her, and kept it on. I called her name and she didn't come, which was a bit weird, she's a very obedient dog, even if she does get excited and overheard the sheep. I kept calling her name, and then eventually the sheep ran from the corner they were in and across the yard again. I hadn't seen the dog scare them, but whatever, they were near the edge of the yard where a relatively small border collie could easily hide in the shadows. The sheep kept running to and from different corners as if being spooked and I kept just missing the dog getting to where she could scare them in the direction they ran. Actual weird stuff, then it started getting a little weird. The sheep ran back to the corner near the dog yard and this time I saw a black llama shape again partially silhouetted by the car where I thought I saw the dog's tail earlier. We have a black baby llama in that yard so I thought oh. She's chasing the sheep. She's always been very friendly with the sheep and calm, unlike our grown llama who is not in that yard, but maybe she learned from the adult. But then this is the unexplainable part the sheep ran from that again, fully illuminated corner they were in. I didn't see the llama do anything to scare them in fact, I can't see her anymore but okay. But then the sheep ran from their new corner as if the llama chased them from there too, when there is no way she could have gotten to that corner without me seeing her. Llamas are big. At this point I can clearly hear the llama's hoofbeats and have no idea how I ever thought it was a dog chasing them, but this is hilarious. Our sweet llama terrorizing the sheep in the middle of the night so I pull out my camera and record. I can't see the llama on screen at all, but she's black, so I guess the phone just isn't picking her up even with a flash. 
The sheep keep running across this same stretch of grassy area, presumably chased by the llama. I can't see her chasing them which is odd since she's so big, but that side of the yard's darker so I'm probably just overlooking her. But then, the sheep ran again, and this time directly across a completely clear area and into a corner that's just dirt. That's great. Even if it was a squirrel chasing them I'll be able to see it this time. But then, they run from that corner and I see absolutely no other animal. Definitely not the llama, not even a raccoon. Nothing could have gotten in that corner to scare them back out without me seeing it. Plus now that I'm looking around the yard to see what I missed I see the llamas in the very back, there's a small chute that leads to more of the yard which the sheep never went into, and I would have seen the llama leave. What the f? Then after the sheep stop in a new corner I hear hoofbeats. These hoofbeats are loud. Hella loud. And fast. They sound like a horse galloping. At this point I freak out because Therese no way a horse got in there and I didn't see it. Both of our horses are red, unlike the dog and the llama. So that's it. No way am I doing this. I go inside the house and bring the dogs with me, don't go back out the rest of the night. I went down to the barn this morning, and the horses and the dog were all in there, no holes in the fences, no way they could have gotten out and back in. Now, these are very calm sheep, we specifically have them down here instead of at the barn because they won't get spooked by the dogs. They're the old sheep. They're not prone to getting spooked or running around for no reason, and in fact are quite lazy again, old. The places they were running from made it clear that whatever was chasing them was in the yard, not outside of it, sometimes they would run from the center of the yard. The yard therein is small, the size of a suburban home's backyard. My flashlight illuminated everywhere they ran, except for the very edges, which again weren't the only places they were running from. We have a new strong fence keeping them in that a wild animal couldn't get through unless it was very small squirrel-sized, maybe raccoon or literally broke the fence down. It is not broken down, and the animal that I saw or heard at the end was clearly larger than even the sheep. It looked the size of our grown llama who is not in that yard and sounded like one of our horses galloping. Anyway. Help? Explainable? Something supernatural? I live on the very southern edge of Killeen, Texas. I am surrounded by huge ranches in the country. A couple months ago, I was on my way to the nearest gas station to grab a couple of beers for the night and it is a little over 4 miles to get around the ranch I live by, to get to the gas station. It's central Texas, with scrub oaks, cedars, cacti, yuccas, and such, so it's hilly and scrubby, but has its open areas. Anyway, about the midpoint of my trip, I get to a stop sign, turn left, and go up this hill. I'm accelerating and keep looking down at the speedometer to check my speed. I finally get to speed, turn on the cruise control so I don't have to worry about it, and then I go back to paying attention to my surroundings. There are a few things that bother me with this story and it's why I've held off submitting it. As I crested the hill, still on my way to get some beer, I saw a glimmer man. Plain and simple. I only noticed it as I crested the hill. It was on the left side of the road. 
It seemed to be upright but quickly squatted to all four and ran across the road. I don't really think it was a man though. I first noticed movement off to my left, actually on the left shoulder, it was a two-lane road. What I then saw was a figure, it squatted to all fours. It galloped across the road and crossed it in three gallops. It moved like it was bipedal, but was moving on all four. It seemed to be made of water, but a softer water, if that makes sense and it was huge. I'm six foot tall and it made me feel small. It was around two in the afternoon when this occurred. I think what I saw was the light reflecting off of the figure. That's how I was able to see it. Two other things bother me about this and make me question myself. They are. 1. The thing I saw, well, looked like a dogman, well that or the creature from the Alien film franchise. I saw many teeth, long, muscular limbs, a slender torso, and what seemed to be pointed ears but they were laid back. I saw the teeth, head, body, and limbs, which were distorted because they were moving so fast. I'm not going to lie, if I would have had something in my bladder, I'd have soiled myself. I still haven't come to terms with it. 2. This exact same spot, not area, but spot, my grandson was in the back of my jeep. We were going to the same gas station. I had the top and doors off which gives you a pretty good view of everything. So while traveling through this same spot, my grandson said he saw a kangaroo. This was approximately two years prior. I spent several months, after his comment, scouring the area as I drove through, looking for a kangaroo. I've had no luck spotting one yet. Now, that I'm retired from the army, I've met people from everywhere. One of my close friends from Jay, Texas used to have wallabies as pets when he was a kid. So not out of the realm of imagination. However, it's goats, cattle, and horses around here because the land is so rough. I kept close watch through there for months afterward, to see if I could spot it. All I saw were roadrunners, turkeys, deer, and such. I have no clue what he could have seen. However, after much reflection, the only thing I can think of is the backward knees and upright stature. Maybe that's why he called it a kangaroo. My grandson was seven years old at the time. Since my sighting, I'll go to the gas station to grab a beer and bring my dog with me. She's a Great Dane or Catahoula mix and really just looks like a huge hound dog. Anyway, the first couple of times I took her through that very area, she'd go nuts as if she'd smelled something. She'd run back and forth from one side to the other. The third time, last week, she started growling when we went through there. I still didn't see anything but the area where she growled was the same place where the aforementioned instances occurred. I don't know what to make of it and haven't said anything to anyone. I'm just wondering what y'all think of it or am I just going crazy and paranoid?